0: You know, Mike, we got something big coming up on the 19th.
1: Why don't you tell me about it?
0: We're going to be doing an in-person show at Hackensack Brewery at 78 Johnson Ave in Hackensack. We're going to be bringing back some of our old guests. We're going to get some new ones there. We're going to invite people from the crowd to tell us their suffering story.
1: It's going to be real exciting to see some of the uh, guests that were here, see how they're doing these days. I'm sure everybody has a suffering story of their own. Whoever wants to tell us their suffering stories and how they overcame it might be able to help other people out. You want to meet some characters? Meet our former guests.
0: You'll be able to talk to them, find out what's going on in their head, find out how they received help, and sit down and tell us your own suffering story. Because you never know, your suffering story may help somebody else.
1: All of our former guests always tell us if they could help anybody out in any way. Let them know. If you heard one of our previous podcasts and want to talk to one of these people, they're going to be there, and they'll they'll sit down and talk to you and tell you about their suffering.
0: Once again, June 19th. Come out and see us. Hackensack Brewery, 78 Johnson Ave. The Suffering Podcast is now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or any other major podcast platform. Please subscribe and like to get the latest episodes as soon as they drop. You can also find our latest episodes at thesufferingpodcast.buzzsprout.com. Feel free to comment. We may read your comments on future podcasts and even reach out to you for a future guest spot. Like and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for The Suffering Podcast. Here you'll see links to episodes, updates, and inside information on how to achieve greatness through the joy of suffering. Sit your ass down, ass down, down. down. Sit your ass Sit your down, ass. down. Let's talk, about, Let's talk, the talk suffering. about the suffering. It's time, it's time, time to start the pain. Sit your, ass, Sit your ass, down, ass down, down. Sit your ass, Sit your down, ass. down, down. And strap it. Strap it. Gonna, gonna hurt. This is going to hurt. hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. suffering. It's time to start the pain. This is going to hurt. hurt. It's, time, it's time, time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to the Suffering Podcast. Each episode, we walk you through how suffering is the way to sustainable success and the path to greatness. So sit down and strap in. This is going to hurt. Let's talk about the suffering. The Suffering Podcast welcomes performance muffins to our growing family. These protein-packed snacks are the perfect healthy treat to satisfy your cravings and are deliciously addictive. Co-founded by a brother and sister team that grew up in a household where good food and creativity was paramount to their family values. Performance Muffins remain and will always be a family owned and operated business with multiple flavor varieties of both muffins and cookies. Performance Muffins enables you to have your cake and eat it too, while still focusing on the food that you put in your body. I've been eating Performance Muffins and Performance Cookies for years. When I was forced to go gluten-free, I thought the days of treats were gone, but not with Performance Muffins and Performance Cookies. They kept the taste and got rid of the gluten. My favorite is a toss-up between the Chisel meat Chocolate Muffin or the Amazing Apple Crumb Muffin. Both have 20-plus grams of protein plus fiber, amino acids, and omega-3s. Performance Muffins and Performance Cookies will blow your taste buds away while contributing to your overall nutritional health. Performance Muffins and Performance Cookies can be found in major supermarkets and fitness centers. Get yours today by visiting performancemuffins.com or check our show notes for the link. For the Suffering Podcast listeners, at checkout, enter the code SUFFERINGPOD10 for an amazing 10% discount. Performance muffins, irresistibly healthy and packed with strength. Caffeine is now part of the Suffering Podcast family. We all need a boost of energy from time to time. Rather than reach for that fifth cup of coffee or grabbing a sugary, chemical-laden energy drink, choose the better alternative. That better alternative is Caffeina. Caffeina is a delicious caffeine and electrolyte-infused spring water that is microfiltered for purity. It's a delicious and refreshing natural energy drink that delivers the most vital of elements to us, and that's water. There is no aftertaste, no chemicals, and no sugar. Caffeina is a perfect source for pre- and post-workout, morning or afternoon pick-me-up, or just something refreshing to quench your thirst. Caffeina is listed as Amazon's Choice on Amazon.com, and that comes with free shipping. Just search Caffeina, C-A-F-E-I-N-A, or check out our show notes for the link. Put a little pep in your step while still feeling good about the products you put in your body. Stay hydrated, stay awake, stay healthy with Caffeine. All new Suffering Podcast gear is here. The show depends heavily on our supporters to get the word out. Let people know that suffering is a team sport and no one is alone in their struggles. Wearing the Suffering Podcast merchandise accomplishes that goal. Check out our store at thesufferingpodcast.com or check our show notes for the link. Your support and love means everything to us. Whether you believe it or not, humans are pack animals. We partner up to grow our pack. We have a vision that we're always going to be with the partner that we chose for the rest of our lives. This further cements the ideal that, in this world, we need each other. But, as the great poet Robert Burns once said, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Uncontrollable events force us to pivot and make unwanted course corrections. When we face a future alone without a partner, and that's where the pain starts, oftentimes suffering in this loss destroys us. But there are people in this world— who were able to rise from the depths of that darkness and despair to live again and exhibit that strength, emerging stronger in some form of a newfound resiliency. I'm Kevin Donaldson. I'm here with Mike Felice. On this episode of The Suffering Podcast, we sit down with Larisse Duffy to explore the suffering of losing a partner. Larisse exhibited true strength in the face of an uncertain future. Larice, welcome! Thanks for joining us. I really
1: appreciate you coming in.
2: Hello, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: It's so nice not to have one of you ugly men in here. Yeah, you know, and it's funny too because that's the first time we ever had a, like a very welcoming, like, uh oh, hi. It's like, it's like, all right, get on with the question. Yeah, it's, or or it's it's, it's oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Well, she, she well, she's a, a podcast veteran now. So yeah. yeah, she we're sure gonna, knows what's going on.
0: We're going to talk about your podcast a little bit later, Aligned and Awakened. Wonderful. But before we get into it I want to get into this week's social media question it comes from Becky. Becky writes, "What is your definition of suffering?" Larissa, I'm going to lay it I'm going to bring this one to you since you're our guest today.
2: I think suffering is when we experience something very painful in our life, a painful event, some occurrence that creates or causes deep pain. What I have found is that through that suffering is when we when we grow our most.
0: By the way, you're hired for the Suffering Podcast because you just you said just our whole concept right there.
2: Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we are totally aligned to that.
1: <laughs> Mike, what's your definition of suffering? I think the best way to put it would be just a mental injury. You know, You have a lot of physical injuries, but suffering would be something that hurts the brain, I guess you could say. I've gone two different ways on this.
0: I believe that there's two different types of suffering. There's your voluntary suffering, And then there's your involuntary suffering, meaning your voluntary suffering is I go out and I run 10 miles. That's putting your body through some pain. Then your involuntary suffering is the loss of a partner where it hits you over the head like a hammer and there's really nothing you can do about it. You didn't put yourself in that situation. You didn't ask for it. Now, I further expounded that by saying involuntary suffering plus voluntary suffering is really what makes people great. When you have that core injury, that core mental injury, like Mike said, and you choose to build upon that injury and grow and put yourself voluntarily through different suffering is really what makes you great. I use the Nelson Mandela theory. You would have never heard of Nelson Mandela had he not gone to prison. Now he could have chosen when he got out of prison to just live a normal life. He chose to expand upon his suffering and became the leader of South Africa and the ender of Apartheid. So, Becky, I really do thank you for your questions. Keep sending them in. We'll try to get them on the air. Larice, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
2: I have my bachelor's degree in psychology. I am a certified life coach. I am the owner and founder of A Mindful Journey. I am a podcast host of Aligned and Awakened, and my proudest title is The Mother of My Four Children.
0: Four children. Jeez. I have trouble <laughs> with two.
2: Oh, and three of them are triplets.
1: <laughs> could, I, could I go back to the uh, question? Um, I think suffering would be four children. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> close. <laughs> that, that's a rough one right there. Wait,
0: how many bathrooms do you have in your house?
2: We have three and a half.
0: That's not... Okay. All right.
2: It works.
0: (laughs) That's not too bad. (laughs) And four four boys. And I have four boys. If I
2: had four girls, that wouldn't work. But with four boys, it works.
0: Yeah, but I'm still at some point. I have two-and-a-half bathrooms in my house, and there's always hammering on the bathroom door. <laughs> Getting get out.
1: What are you doing? If you had four girls, you'd probably have to, like, rent a portage on all the time to you. <laughs> in the yard for you. If I had four girls, I'd rent a bodyguard. to would be around them 24 hours a day. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Explain what a Mindful Journey is.
1: A Mindful
2: Journey is a life coaching company. Through that company, there's one-on-one coaching clients, clients that I see privately, I have a group coaching program called The Journey where I have multiple women. And I have a group Rise on Facebook where we do interview series called Aligned and Awakened, which is where my podcast sort of started. It's all about inspiring, empowering, really help women live their best life and really design their life through their desire rather than their circumstance and really understand the limitless potential that they have and the greatness that is offered to them every day. So often we're just so fearful to go after it. Or we're just so limited in beliefs that we have picked up along the way and we just don't believe in
0: ourselves. So why go after this audience of female only? I'm I'm interested in that. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just I'm interested as when we started this podcast, obviously, we're, we are geared more towards the male audience by us not bringing in female voices. I think we're selling our message short because you do have a great message. So explain that to me.
2: Thank you. I will start with, I have, I've had men clients. I do not turn away men clients. I just find that women seem to be more of a larger part of, of my clientele. Part of it is I don't necessarily coach, you know, widows, people who have lost a partner. But what I've done is taken what I've learned from that experience and really apply it to people. And I just have found that women are more of the people who have come to me wanting that help. So that's sort of how it, became, you know, the way sense. it is, but never would I, would I turn away, you know, would I turn away a, a male You
1: always client. have to market to what you're most popular at. Exactly, well,
2: exactly. What Kevin's
1: really trying to get at is he needs a life coach. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave my card, Kevin. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it has to be very satisfying for you when you see that you've changed someone or, or put them on the right path.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It also helps me to feel like I'm honoring my husband's life and death, where I'm taking the lessons that I've learned from this awful occurrence in our life and from his having to leave this this world and leave our family far too soon. If I can take those lessons and apply them and help and sort of spread them outward, I feel like it makes sense then. And that I, not makes sense. I feel like it has a purpose. And that makes me feel like it's not all for nothing. It's not all just for suffering.
0: There's that- a purpose behind everything. Absolutely. It's you just have to see it. Now, I'm sure and we're, I want to get into this in just a second. But when you were in the middle of your darkest times, mm-hmm. it was very difficult, if not impossible, to see that light at the end of the tunnel and see any value in whatever pain you were feeling. You have to get through it in order to see any type of value. Tell our audience about your own personal suffering story.
2: You know, I was married to the love of my life and we had a fabulous marriage. Nothing's perfect, but it was really a nice partnership. And we had four kids so we had this whole family, three of whom are triplets, and we had some fertility issues. So, And then my fourth one, I call my bonus. You know, he was our <laughs> bonus. So we had this beautiful family, and I was ecstatic about that. And Kevin actually had a pipe fall on his head, and he fractured his skull before we had children. He survived that. It was really scary. We ended up having our, our family. Life was beautiful. And about, I would say about 2013, 2014, Kevin started feeling a little slur in his voice. He was cramping a lot. We didn't know what it was. I couldn't hear the slur. It really bothered him so much so that he went to see doctors. They were running tests. They were doing all kinds of testing. Nothing was coming up. Nobody could figure out what was going on. Finally, he ended up sort of with a drop foot. We couldn't figure it out. I mean, he was so athletic and so active. He was my son's coach in baseball, basketball, and football. He was so healthy. I wasn't worried at all. Certainly the mother of four boys, being calm and not really being a worrier was necessary. And that's just who I am. I wasn't worried.
0: You're hired for my wife to keep her calm. (laughs) You're hired. (laughs)
1: Leave, so, leave your card. There's another life coach there. Uh, do <laughs> you, you do partners? You know, like Kevin and his baby coming?
2: <laughs> we had scheduled. It was his 50th birthday. We had a trip to the Bahamas. And when we came home, Kevin saw a specialist neurologist. He asked Kevin to come back. He was going to do a, a test called an EMG. It, it evaluates the electrical activity in your uh, muscles. And
1: Is that the same EMG that they do on brains?
2: I don't think so.
1: I know if it's the same EMG they do on necks, I,
2: okay, would I stick needles is.
1: in you? And, yes, yeah, yes, oh, yes, 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 yes. Because I, I had something similar done
0: to my brain because I wanted to <laughs> see if it was functioning more than anything else. You
2: know. <laughs> well, it's called an, an electromyogram, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm EMG. not sure. We went to this doctor's visit. It was about 10 o'clock. Kevin took the day off. We were planning on going out to lunch after. During this exam, we were actually like giggling a little bit because of that exact reason. He was, you know, he kept jumping because every time.
1: They hit you with those electrodes and they
2: hurt. They hurt. (laughs) So every time he would jump, we would kind of just look at each other and giggle a little bit. I thought we were just going to check off another box. Maybe he was going to come up with something. I thought we had all the scary things out of the way. When he was done with the EMG, he sat us down, and he said, this is very serious. And that got my attention very quickly.
0: And imagine that's just what you wanted to hear from the doctor at that point.
2: Exactly. Wow. Uh, horrifying. Horrifying. He proceeded to tell us that he believed Kevin had the beginning stages of ALS.
0: ALS for everybody out there is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Mm -hmm. It's a nervous disease that there is no cure, weakens the muscles and impacts the physical function. Nerve cells break down. I did a little bit of research Mm -hmm. on it. Prior to this, what I knew about ALS came from Lou Gehrig. Yes. And it's it's amazing that he actually got the Lou Gehrig's disease, isn't it?
2: Okay, let me just tell you <laughs> that the man is a humongous Boston Red Sox fan. Oh, no. Okay? And... and I apologize to all you Yankee <laughs> fans out there, but he despised uh, the New York
0: Yankees. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. So I, I had told Mike that I was going to say that, and he's like, ah, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and once I got to talk to you, I realized it, it, it probably would work. But that story right there, here's a man with a life-changing disease who doesn't want it to be called Lou Gehrig's because he's cause he's a Boston he, fan. He changed it to Carly disease. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Let me just tell you
2: guys that my sons, yeah, I said they're triplets. They were on the same baseball team. It was a Triborough baseball team. So their name were the Yankees. So they had Yankee hats. My husband told them every night that you get home from practice, you hang those hats in the shed because they're not coming in our house.
0: <laughs> so I'm a I'm a Philly fan. <laughs> okay. Okay. I grew up in South Jersey and I tell all I tell both of my kids the Yankees are bad people. They break into your house at night and steal Christmas presents.
1: You know, I think I got to go. <laughs> so just getting back to that Boston thing. I've known Kevin for all of what, 30 years, maybe? Yes. Larissa's husband, Kevin. Yes. Yeah. Well, not you. Yeah, we don't want to <laughs> know each other 30 years. I've, I've known the real Kevin for probably 30 years. Uh, we started in a pipe fitters apprenticeship program together. One of the greatest people you'd want, ever want to meet. Outgoing, funny. Do you know what kind of fortitude that takes
0: to make that type of joke, knowing that ALS is Lou Gehrig's disease. Nope, it's not Lou
1: Gehrig's disease anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but get, getting back to Boston, Kevin came up to me one day when we were in apprentice school, and he said, we got a, a bus trip to Boston to go to a Red Sox game. Do you want to go? I'll never forget. It. I think we left from your house, maybe. Okay. Or it was up somewhere in Kinnalon or Bloomingdale or Butler or wherever. I'll never forget it. It was a bus ride up. Ticket to the Red Sox, White Sox game on Saturday, hotel, ticket to the game on Sunday, bus ride home. Back then, that was all $121. Wow. <laughs> so we went up to Boston. Well, you're talking like what? Not, was uh, Ted
0: Williams still playing for Boston? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you used to buy a Coke for a nickel, Tim? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so we, you know, needless to say, uh, there was some beverages on the bus on the way up. And when we got there, we were bar hopping and... Then, we go into the stadium. It was great. We were sitting down left field line right next to the Green Monster. I got thrown out in the second inning. <laughs> <laughs> so, here I'm walking around Boston. I couldn't find where our bus was. I you mean,
0: had uh, to wear your
1: Yankees jersey, didn't no, you? I did. I, I wore of a course. bus. I, actually, I put a, I bought a Boston hat that wow. day. I wore a Boston hat. <laughs> so we went up meeting up after the game. Went over to Faneuil Hall in Boston. we all all different. But we got thrown out of every bar we were in.
2: Oh, gosh.
1: And it was... <laughs> Next day the game comes and we meet in a bar and everybody starts going in. So I said to one guy, yeah, let's wait for the crowd to get in there. Second inning. Third inning, fourth inning. They had to pull the bus up in front of the bar after the game to get us out of there. We <laughs> never went into the second game. <laughs> but he's having, he, Kevin was so funny that trip. Uh, he was just such an outgoing person. And, he
2: was funny all yeah. the time. I mean, even in our home, he was a whistler, a good morning man. He just had wonderful energy, and he was great to be around. He it was infectious. His yeah, energy he was, was infectious. Yeah. yeah.
0: When he was diagnosed, I w- I'm, I'm interested to find out what sure. your It's something I have no, I I can't base it on any other type of feeling that I've had.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I can look back at that person. I can actually see myself sitting in that chair, collecting that news. And my heart can almost break for for that girl because it was that horrifying. It was that earth shattering. I I mean, we had this family. This is, we did, we were a unit. Uh, We, you know, there was four boys, Kevin like I said, coached them and everything. We did Kevin. We went to church together. I mean, these were some busy boys. They were teenagers, young teenagers. They were in a lot of sports. Kevin made sure we went to church together. Every Sunday, we went as a family. We didn't go half and half because this one had this. This is just how it was. I felt broken. I felt like a a piece of our unit was, and a really big piece. I just couldn't imagine that this was going to happen. He was so healthy and so active. I I just couldn't believe or imagine the idea that he would be taken away from me and then also taken away from his four sons.
0: Did you start having to look at the journey you're going to have to take at that point?
2: We sort of collected ourselves, support and strength from family and friends. And someone had told us about a story where someone was diagnosed with MS. They ended up seeing a Lyme literate medical doctor. They were misdiagnosed. And it ended up that it was Lyme disease. So I did some research. And ALS and Lyme disease, the symptoms overlap a lot. So we went and saw a Lyme literate medical doctor. He thought and believed that Kevin had Lyme disease. Unfortunately, there's no test for ALS. There's no specific test that says, yep, okay, we took your blood, you have ALS, or, you know.
0: Sort of on what's going on in the body. Exactly. How acting, they yeah.
2: narrow it down. They remove all other possibilities, and then they collect information from symptoms and, and all that kind of stuff, this EMG. Lyme disease is just, it's not, an, there's the, act, the testing is not so accurate. So it was very easy to believe that this was Lyme disease. And let's just add, Lyme disease gave us hope. So, of course, we were going to grab on to anything possible that gave us or could give us some hope. And that's what we did. We just went down this Lyme disease journey.
0: In your particular case, you chose to take that little piece. Hey, if there's a chance, if it's just a chance, then I have something to hang my hat on where I can go further.
2: We did that for about a year and a half, I guess. You know, we went through every possible therapy, IV antibiotic, different baths, different diets, so many things.
0: Did anything relieve it at all?
2: No. No. It just, it was very slow. It was very slow. And I think having the belief that it wasn't ALS maybe relieved it a little bit. You know, coming back to the hope and the, it gave us something to sort of hold on to. Maybe not pay attention as much to the symptoms. Because we felt like, okay, this is Lyme disease. It
0: could be something else. Yeah, like, we got
2: this. We can do this. And that kind of gave us the strength, gave him the strength. It was, I think, March of 2017. Kevin just completely, it was probably over a course of a few weeks, I just noticed a big decline. Like I said, we're doing all these things, right? He's on IV antibiotic. If this is Lyme disease, how could he be declining? And it was at that point I had to have a very difficult discussion with him because I was his biggest cheerleader, his biggest supporter. When he felt nervous that maybe this is ALS, I really cheered him on. I did I educated myself.
0: That's, that's re- I'm thinking about something that's really horrible. That You don't know for certain that this is a disease that is life-threatening. Yes. You're guessing. And there's no doctor in the world that can tell you. Can you imagine what that's like?
1: That's got to be devastating.
0: If you know you have cancer, if you're 100% positive, you can work within those parameters. Yes. But when you don't know, there's just so many variables here. God, it's it's got to be almost overwhelming.
2: Well, and you have an ALS doctor saying it's ALS, and you have a Lyme doctor saying it's Lyme disease. When I look back, it's like, oh, like you said, you know, we wanted hope. And so we went with Lyme disease, and that was the most hopeful option. So that's what we did.
0: In your mind, is this the point where you came to realize that Your husband's not going to beat this?
2: Yes. And what I said to my husband was, I'm not sure if we're searching for answers or running from the truth. And that was a really hard day.
0: That's a fantastic quote.
2: Uh, Again, I was his biggest cheerleader and his biggest supporter. It broke my heart. It broke my heart to have to say those words because I so wanted to believe that it was Lyme disease, and I wanted him to believe it was Lyme disease and have hope. And it almost felt like I was taking that hope away. But when I realized that this wasn't making sense, at that point felt like I was lying to myself and lying to him. It no longer felt right. I made an appointment at Columbia University, and we saw another Lyme specialist. He said to us, I don't know if you have Lyme disease or not what i know for sure is that you have ALS <sighs> wow and it it felt like it felt like i ran a 20 mile marathon and got to the finish line for them to say oh i'm sorry the start line is over there it was hard it was really really hard
0: but at this point you still have to be strong for him.
2: Oh, I have to be strong and for him. And the kids him. and the kids. And I now have to help my kids off this emotional roller coaster that I feel like I've put them on by trying to have hope.
0: <laughs> now, in your current life, you were spending so much attention on your husband Kevin. Yes. Who is looking out for you? And I know that sounds selfish. And the reason I say that is when I watched my grandfather dying of cancer and yeah. all the eyes were focused on him, when he passed, all of a sudden everybody and looked over at my grandmother and realized my grandmother was really sick, but nobody was looking at her. Yes. yes. So who was taking care of you?
2: Yeah. I love that question. And I love it because I have so much compassion for caretakers because they do kind of get forgotten about, not on purpose, but it's hard. It's easy to go home and forget all that they're going through in the privacy of their own home, trying to take care of somebody when you're in so much pain yourself and then trying to take care of of the kids also.
0: Well, usually caretakers are the absolute worst at taking care of themselves. Yeah. They really are. Nurses, EMS, they are the worst at taking, they're great at taking care of everybody else until it comes to their own bodies. Mm.
2: Yeah. I have really amazing family and they're all close by. I have a lot of great friends. So honestly, and Kevin was, he loved when I would go out. He was so supportive just to kind of fill up my own tank a little bit. So I would go out to dinner with the girls. My family would still come over and, and, you know, Kevin would be upstairs just to have some normalcy, Mm -hmm. just to laugh a little and relax a little and remove myself from my current reality and and, and then come back to him a better me so I could give to him because that's what I wanted to do and give to my kids, you know, and make this traumatic situation.
0: Well, you'd be unable to take care of anybody else if you yourself were... Not in the right frame of mind, physically or mentally. Absolutely. We we hear that all the time. As being a police officer, you can't go to a call and help somebody if you don't get there safely.
2: Yes, yes, hundred
0: percent. That's why I, I, I was interested in that because people, when they start taking care of themselves, when they're a caregiver in that fashion. They almost feel guilty Mm -hmm. that I'm spending time on myself when this person is really, really suffering.
2: Mm -hmm. And fortunately, Kevin was so wonderful that he gave me the, okay, like, yes, go, go do. Instead of making me feel guilty that I was doing it, he supported it. And that made it, that certainly made it, made it easier.
1: How did you actually explain it to the kids? I mean, that's got to be devastating. I mean, even just the, the Well, how old are your children? Doing? How old are your children?
2: My children now are 17. My He's my youngest. He'll be 18 in August. And the triplets are 20.
0: Okay. And what age were they when this diagnosis came down?
2: When the diagnosis came down, they were 15, and I think Aiden was 12 and a half.
0: Okay. So they were conscious of the world around them. It's oh. not like they're four or five yeah. years old Absolutely, and don't understand right. what's going on.
2: And their father was someone who would come home from a nine-hour hard working day and go outside and be the permanent quarterback Mm. or be the pitcher or take them to the field or be coaching. Like I said, he coached every sport for them. This is just who he was.
1: And I I know because pipe fitting is not an easy mm -hmm, job. mm -hmm. I did it for a long time in their long, grueling, hard days out in the heat, out in the middle of the winter in the cold. That's why he quit, because he couldn't take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's why I became a cop.
0: <laughs> Stopped
1: working hard for a living.
0: I always said when I, I was a teacher before I was a cop, I always say I got out of teaching because it got too dangerous.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, if it's okay to share just a little story about who he was. Absolutely. Um, we have triplets that were all playing baseball, and Kevin wasn't coaching this particular team. Two of them made the all-star team, and one of them didn't. Having triplets, that can be a little hard to, you Absolutely. know, manage, <laughs> but we did, and it was fine. The day came for the game, so the one who didn't make it was in a consolation game, and the two that did make it were in an all-star baseball game, right? All these kids, they they pick the best athletes and form this very competitive team. Kevin came home from work, and the game happened to be on the same day, at the same time, at two different fields, I was getting ready, and I made reference to the fact that we were going to the All-Star Game. This was going to be an amazing game. Kevin lived for great athletics and, and, and watching really competitive, good sports. And I said to him, okay, so, you know, when we go, he says, oh, no, no, I'm not going to the All-Star Game. I'm going to the Consolation Game. And he said, I will never let that kid think that that's less important then the all-star game, I will be there to support him and to make sure that my presence sends that message. (laughs) And I said, of course, that's what we're going to do. Oh, my gosh. I didn't. And as a mother, you would think I would (laughs) have thought that, you know, (laughs) and I, I it's such a beautiful memory of him. I have to say that I just it's just I hold it in my heart every day because it reminds me of the amazing man that he was and the amazing father and my children got this man as their father for 17 years of their life when they were 17, when he passed away and 15 years of, of their life. Aiden was 15. I'm truly grateful for that. I'm
1: I'm sure they're going to carry those values on though. Knowing Kevin, the way I did and knowing what a a great person he was and, you talk about what a caring father and everything. Mm-hmm. They're going to remember that. Yeah. And you not letting Kevin's legacy go, I think they're going to be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Ke- you, I, you know, I think so, too. We were talking about what an athlete Kevin was. Most Kevins are. <laughs> so the, the, the real athletic Kevin <laughs> back in the day. We were, now you've played a lot of sports in your life and you know, there was always that one guy on the other team that you couldn't stand <laughs> mainly because personality was, conflicts, mainly because he was so good. But when oh. he's on your team, you love them. <laughs> yes. So okay. well, that's Derek Jeter to me. <laughs> Kevin was, he was on a, uh, a touch football team. He calls me up one day and says, we need a couple guys to come on our team. You know, you want to come up? I said, sure. I think we drove up to Dover or somewhere like that and we're playing and Kevin is. All over the field. I mean, he, he was fast. He was quick. He was just, I mean, he was kill. And Kevin had a mouth. <laughs> he was one of those chirpers, you know. One of the, like I said, the, the other team always has one of them. And Kevin was chirping, and chirping. <laughs> and he's just running all over these people. One guy on the other team goes, we come off to the line and Kevin's chirping at him. And the guy goes, "Kick the shit out of that Guinea bastard. So Kevin gets across the line and goes. I'm Irish. You jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> and just fucking ran like right past the guy. Oh, it was just so Kevin. Though. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Kevin yeah. fights this long, hard battle. Yes. And how long did he fight for?
2: He was diagnosed in May of 2015 and he died April 18th of 2018. So almost three years.
0: And you just saw this gradual decline. D- decline. Yes. And it had to be difficult to watch.
2: It was extremely difficult to watch. This was my son's hero. Uh, You know, this was their
0: coach. It's easier when things of this nature are an event and they're over. It's like tearing off a Band-Aid to watch something slowly happen. It's got to eat at you a little bit.
2: It's the anticipation and you know how it ends. And that's really hard. However... I had the opportunity, unlike people who lose someone that die in a car accident or just something happens.
0: That's a terrible tragedy. And I'm not saying what didn't happen to Kevin isn't a tragedy, but it's a tragedy over time.
2: It is, right. But it did give me the opportunity to say the things that I wanted to say, to be there with him. Probably always conscious
0: of the last words that you say to him.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And more so even that uh, there was a book that was written. All the kids that he coached wrote him a letter and a book was made. And when he started to become a little unconscious, I just sat next to him and I read the book to him. I stroked him until his last breath. I got to do that.
0: What I know about ALS mm-hmm. is their mind is conscious, correct? Mm-hmm. So they're locked inside their own body.
2: Their mind is conscious, and Kevin, unfortunately, lost his ability to speak. Okay. And that was um, difficult, but still was able to give those boys a look, even in hospice.
0: The father look. We talk about it all the time. <laughs> when
2: the, Yes. When they they were sitting on a chair, and the grandparent walked in— He would just give those boys a look. He didn't have to say anything, and they knew to get their behinds up so their grandparent could sit down. Or if they used bad language, he would throw a look like it wasn't okay, you know. So he still managed well to be an amazing father to them. They knew that even though he couldn't speak, he was still the boss, and he always had their best interest in mind and wanted and would parent them until the absolute end. And and, and he did. I mean, he texts them beautiful messages about, you know, whatever sport that they were playing that day and would remind them of who they were and to have fun, to go get them, that he was always so proud of them.
0: You have this tragedy on April 18th, mm-hmm. but the new tragedy is just starting for you, correct? Because now you're alone
2: yes i'm I'm alone, interestingly. I came home from hospice at about three thirty in the morning. My youngest son was at my parents' house. He slept there. I came home at three o'clock in the morning and I went into my first son's room and they knew they knew they had said their goodbyes and I told him that that his dad had died and It's interesting because you asked me earlier how I handled telling the kids. When we had to tell them the second time, I did all the talking, uh, Kevin's speech was was certainly at that point affected. No one said a word. Remember, this was the second time that we're sharing this with them because we, what we told them, then we told them it was Lyme disease. Now we're back to ALS. And nobody said anything. One child spoke and he said, Mom, are you okay? And I said, yes.
0: That's fantastic.
2: And I left that room a little confused by that question and I thought, my gosh, their father is going to lose his life. Why are they asking me this question? And what I realized before, before he passed away, but it happened again when I went to tell my first son, Daddy died. And he said, or I, I think my words were Daddy lost his battle with ALS. He said, Mom, are you okay? And mm-hmm. I said, yes. And what I realized was that I tried so hard to control Kevin's illness I tried so hard to make it something that it wasn't. Of course, I, we were also told by doctors, you know, I'll give myself a little. What I realized was that I didn't have the control to save my husband. And my children knew that their dad was going to die. But what they wanted to make sure of was that they weren't going to lose their mom, too. That I was still going to be the same mom to them that I wasn't going to lay in bed or that I wasn't going to no judgment for anybody who does, but that was a gift that I could give to them. I could be strong. I could lead this family through this with love and compassion and kindness, with grace, with strength, and even with a sense of humor when necessary.
0: Well, you only have two choices at that point. Mm -hmm. Either you, you power through it. Seems like you did that or you go by the wayside and you just get enveloped by fear.
2: Yes, exactly. And you, you use a, 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 word that I love, which is choice. Mm-hmm. And I believe that our circumstances don't create our destiny. Our choices do. And every day we have the power of choice. Although I couldn't change my, you know, my circumstances. What I realized was I got to decide who I was going to be within that, within that circumstance. And there was a coaching principle. Each moment describes who you are and gives you the opportunity to choose if that's who you want to be. And I will tell you that I lived by that principle every day through this, when I wanted to be a victim and I wanted to be angry, I would ask myself, who do you want to be? You knew who you were when life was beautiful. You were a great mom. You were a great wife. you were a great sister. You were a great aunt. You were a great friend. Who are you going to be? Now that life is at rock bottom.
0: Right, because only only one thing has changed.
2: Mm -hmm. You
0: lost your husband. Exactly. You're still you, and you still have this enormous responsibility. Hmm. You, for lack of a better term, you really made lemonade out of lemons.
2: I did. Yeah, I did. I did. And honestly, through life coaching and becoming certified, I got, I was certified through Kevin's illness when we thought it was Lyme disease. And I have to tell you, I've never moved towards something. I was running a small business, taking care of a sick husband and, and caring for four children. I decided I was going to go get certified to be a life coach. And-
0: was this a plan knowing where Kevin's battle could be going?
2: At that point, I really believed it was Lyme disease. At okay. that point, I really, in my heart, I, I couldn't make sense that this amazing man was going to be taken from us. I, I just couldn't. I think having a, a Lyme specialist tell me that he believed it was Lyme disease just gave me what I needed to really hold on to that that belief.
0: Well, mm-hmm. I want to stop you right here because sure. that, that diagnosis from that Lyme disease specialist, mm-hmm. do you feel that that was an irresponsible thing? Or do you think it was a blessing in disguise? There's two ways that I see it. I mm-hmm. see it. Yes, it did give you a little bit of positivity to continue your fight because if it's all negative, that's when you see people really go downhill when they lose the, they just have that negative attitude. Right. Or was it a little irresponsible even to give what you would call hope?
2: I think it was a little bit of both. There's part of me that thinks back and thinks, wow, if we knew exactly what we were dealing with and we met it head on, maybe we would have gone on some trips or done some things before to really make some meaningful memories before Kevin passed. But we hung on to hope, believing it was Lyme disease, and then it was too late. It it was too late Mm. to, to try to do that. On the other hand, that hope created you know some sort of sustenance exactly we weren't in the pain of thinking he was going to die as long as we could have been correct so it
1: might have prolonged him a, a little while it very but, well know,
2: could have absolutely because yeah.
1: you know you hear a lot of these people like i, I saw it with my mother when she had cancer and when i told her you have cancer there was no well it could be cancer it could be this She was told she had cancer, and and to me, in my heart, that was her death sentence. Yeah. She just went straight down. Four months from from diagnosis date to death because she really had nothing to fight for. At least Kevin, thinking that was possibly Lyme disease, maybe gave him something to fight for.
2: Absolutely. I mean,
1: if it added a a couple months to his life, it's it's still a couple months that he's still here. Yes. At that point, you're grasping for whatever
0: you—you take whatever you can get. Yes,
2: absolutely.
0: You found this— strength moving on from this tragedy by being a life coach how have you used this suffering in your current profession with being a life coach
2: so it's interesting after kevin had passed and you know i had gone through some grieving
0: well if you grew up in sunshine and rainbows Mm -hmm. do you think people would be as compelled to listen to you as a life coach?
2: Oh, probably not. I I think that I've become the example of someone who has been through it Mm -hmm. and has come out on the other side.
0: You're never going to get a football coach that's never played football.
2: Yeah. 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 Right. 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 So having been through some sort of suffering and, you know, have come out the other side with positivity and gratitude for things still. And I can see, you know, I can recognize the blessings. You know, I often share that my husband experienced a fractured skull before we had a family so i get to choose you know do i want to be grateful that he survived that and gave me four sons or do i want to feel that so much has been taken away from me that's my choice i get to choose how i want to look at that and that's not to say that i'm not terribly sad sometimes still terribly sad sometimes Three years later.
0: But you make that choice.
2: I make, th- well, I, you know, I... You I make believe- No, you
0: make the choice to not let it consume you is what I'm saying.
2: Oh, sure. Say. Yes, absolutely. Because I really believe we have to feel it to heal it. I, I, I truly believe that we can't bypass our feelings and then nothing good will come out of that. It will come out some way.
0: So Once I again, think-
1: I'm going to hire you for the Suffering Podcast because you're you going to feel it to heal it. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, you know, it, what she was just saying is what our show is all about. Mm. You know, you have, to or- you have to suffer in order to succeed. You know, and that, that's pretty much what we're all about. And, and I mean, you are a strong, strong woman. Thank you. I, I listened to your first podcast, My Journey. Mm. I could choke up thinking about it right mm. now. I don't know how you went through it. I mean, you know, knowing Kevin, and I didn't find out about Kevin's passing until years after. It. Oh, I'm sorry, Mike. Yeah, I, didn't I didn't found out from, I went, to a, I went to a pipe fitters meeting. And one of the Driscoll brothers came up to me <laughs> said, did you hear about Kevin? I said, no. He said, he passed away. I'm like, oh. felt like my heart was taken out.
2: Oh, of course.
1: So explain
0: to us what a life coach does cuz everybody I've heard of life coaches right but not everybody knows what they do
2: right 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 so a life coach is a is a professional who helps people make progress in their lives in order to attain greater fulfillment it's really about moving people forward when i was certified they used the term you know a therapist takes dysfunctional to functional a life coach is taking a person from functional to optimal it's all about really working through limiting beliefs that sort of keep us stuck, asking real thought-provoking questions to empower our clients. It's not to give them advice. It's not to give them the answers, but it's to really empower them and to really help and create a space, hold a space where they can dig a little deeper because sometimes we think that we're so focused on the story of a problem, I like to call them just the details. And we don't get to the root of the problem. And we spend so much time and energy talking about the details that by asking these thought-provoking questions and working through what's happening, we can actually get to the root of the problem where we can then actually come up with a solution. And then all those little details sort of fall away because we've gotten to the root problem and we've changed that.
0: I like the optimization portion of it. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the 40% rule? I've said, I said it on here, on this podcast a couple of times. So the 40% rule, as it applies to athletics mostly, but I, I believe you can apply, apply it to life, is when you think you're done, yeah. you're only 40% done. Mm-hmm. You still have another 60% in your gas tank. And it's all theory, obviously, which has been put into action physically. When you optimize people, and when you say a therapist takes them dysfunctional to functional, you go from functional to optimized, you're showing them that when they're functional Mm -hmm. and they think, okay, I'm good, I'm good. No, you're only at about 40%. percent you got 60% left to go where you can be the best you want to be.
2: Yes, I love that. I love that. And it's interesting because a lot of times when I have my clients share, if we're we're working on something, maybe what they love about themselves, how they're- um... I
1: love the fact that I'm not Mike Felice. (laughs) I love the fact that we don't have video so people can't see his face.
2: <laughs> but when we're working on like real like self-love, not self-care, but self-love, I'll always say, and when you think you're done, I want you to ask yourself, and what else? And then when you think you're done again, and what else? Which is exactly what you're talking about with this 40%, right? We're, we, always, we have limitless potential.
0: And the guy who came up with that is a savage. Oh. His name is uh, David Goggins. Oh, oh okay. he is a s- just straight out savage. Wow! That wow. just has learned to reform how he believes and thinks in order to optimize his mind and his body.
2: Yes, yeah. So he, he,
0: that might be re, get his book. It's called Can't Hurt Me. Okay. You, you might the audio book is actually better than the print book. I've done both. Yeah. The audio book is part book, part podcast. So oh, it's actually... Okay. And it's nice because you can listen to it in your car, obviously. Yes, yes, yes. Kevin can't read. <clears throat> he gets the audiobooks. <laughs> in college, I'm an English major, and in college I had to have somebody read it to me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so going through what you've gone through with the loss of a partner and somebody came to you, out of your own playbook, how would you help them through that loss?
2: You know, I would first normalize their feelings. I I think that feeling validated and feeling like I can't get out of my pajamas today is normal. I I think is helpful. I think that helping people to really understand that they need to go through the grieving process. And I don't even believe there's a real finish line. I don't think there's a timeline and everybody's journey through grief is different. And I think sometimes.
0: I think the worst thing you can do in your life is cross a finish line yeah. and not create a new race. Please forgive me. I, I relate everything into athletics. Yes. And it, that's just how I live my life. So coming across that finish line, it feels great. It's wonderful. And you should celebrate your accomplishment, but never rest on your laurels. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. There's another race after that. There's another mountain to climb. There's another race. There's another finish line.
2: Well, and that yeah, absolutely. Because when we're talking about growth, there's no end. There's absolutely no end, and
0: to truly become limitless,
2: to absolutely. And I think sometimes the only limits that are placed upon us are the ones that we put on ourselves, and I think that we don't recognize that we're limitless, and I think that we accept okay too much. I often say to my clients, if okay was no longer okay and great was the standard you lived by, how would your life be different? Because I think it's important to know that we deserve that and to really think about what great even is for you and that it is reachable. And to have someone really be a cheerleader for you and remind you that you can have anything that you want, I think is so important. And I think that coming from this situation, I had friends after I was going through this process, I asked them to invite me to do things that scared me to death.
0: Define what greatness is for you.
2: Mm, Greatness is really, there's so many things, but if I had to say one thing, I probably would say spending most of the hours of each day feeling the way that I want to feel.
0: That's a great answer.
2: Yeah. I actually, there's a beautiful coach, Tracy Litt, that shared that with me. Or not with me. <laughs> that I was listening to. Uh, I think it was a podcast. I have since adopted that as my own because... I thought, yes, that's it. Because when we do the thing, and let me tell you, there's a lot of things I, I want to do. I want to be the example for my children. And I want them to be sent the message that no matter what your circumstances, you can do anything. Because look what our mom did. Our mom created this company while our father was suffering from a terminal illness. And, and she succeeded, right? But, but real success. Once you accomplish the thing, and I think it goes back to what you were sort of just saying, we feel great, right? But we feel great for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. one day.
0: It's time to move on. Maybe two,
2: right? I think when we can feel the way we want to feel on a daily basis, I think that's real success.
0: Mike, I want to throw that to you. What do, what, how would you define greatness?
1: I, I think greatness is probably like setting a goal for yourself attaining that goal and then pushing on like you said you know after the race is over you you got to start up another race you know just keep pushing yourself to be a better person every day i break mike's chops constantly cuz he deserves it most of the
0: time <laughs> and i keep coming back for more but but one of the reasons him and i are together on this podcast is cuz we think very very similar mm. i am wholeheartedly in agreement my I, my ideal of greatness is always being busy, always having a goal to achieve. And when I achieve it, I just find a new goal. Because like it's that. it's not fun. Without that something to do in my life, it's meaningless. Perfect case in point, when when I was going through the retirement process and I wasn't allowed to work, I was out on workers' comp, they don't let you take any other job at that point, so you got to sit home. It was mm-hmm. the worst nine months of my life. I felt I didn't have any purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made moonshine. I taught myself how to plate braid. You know what plate braiding is good for? Making bull whips, and that's about it. Oh. <laughs> so I made a nine-foot paracord bull whip just to keep myself occupied, to have something else to do. Because there's nothing worse in this world like not, not having a purpose. Yes, yes. My, mine was 15 months. I, I, I don't know how you I, did it. It went out of my mind.
1: I I I was in the best shape of my life. But
0: I lost all motivation. See, that's where you and I are different. He hit the gym real heavy. I lost my motivation because I I I was always a runner. Lost my motivation to run. Lost my motivation to go to the gym, which I had plenty of time to do it. Yeah. But we saw that a lot with COVID. Mm -hmm. So how many times, I'm sure you hear this from your clientele, I'd love to, but I don't have the time.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, now yeah. you had the time, and did you use it or did you waste it?
2: Well, let me tell you that lies are excuses we tell ourselves so we don't we can blame something else. Cool. We don't have to look in the mirror, and we don't have to blame ourselves. Yeah, excuses are lies we tell ourselves. Absolutely, and we're all victims of it. I, I, I shouldn't even use the word victim. I mean, we, we, it all happen. It happens to all of us. I always say. I woke up the other morning and I felt. I immediately thought about my day. My day was packed. I got this very overwhelming, anxious feeling. And I immediately said to myself, what are you thinking that's creating this feeling? I don't want to feel like this. How do you want to feel? And I wanted to feel energized. I wanted to feel excited. I wanted to feel really excited about my day. And I thought to myself, well, what do you have to think in order to feel? Because what happens is our thoughts create our feelings, and our feelings produce action or inaction, which creates results. And that's how it works. It all starts with a thought, and everybody thinks that their thoughts are fact. Well, if I think it, I believe it. And our thoughts are options. We get to choose, and we get to change the neural pathway of our thoughts to think differently, which will create us feeling different feelings.
0: A so, life without choice is a, is a nightmare.
2: Oh, 100%. The power of choice is, I, it's a superpower. It really is. And when we really dig deep and think about what are those choices and wh- and not making a choice is a choice. Correct. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. <It's> almost, <laughs> it almost sounds like an oxymoron, but it, it's 100% correct. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Do you have anything that you'd like to throw out there for our audience to go check out?
2: Absolutely. I you know, I I you can find me on Instagram, a mindfuljourney.ld. My website is a My podcast is aligned and awakened. And I'm on Facebook, a mindful journey, and I have a group there, about twenty three hundred women called Rise. Wow.
0: We're gonna put a link to all of those things on our show notes. Thank you. You've had this amazing journey in your life. You've gone from tragedy, you rose from the ashes, yeah. you're like a phoenix, and <laughs> you. you've learned to fly again. Yes. So if you had to put it into perspective and summarize, what do you think all this suffering's taught you?
2: The suffering has taught me that life is happening now. Go do the thing. This suffering has taught me that I need to, or I want to move through my fear and that I'm still going to feel scared but I'm going to do it anyway. It's taught me that I'm not going to be the victim of my circumstances, that I always have the power to choose who I am and who I'm going to be within that circumstance. And I get to hold on to that every single day. I don't ever have to worry about trying so hard to control anything outside of me because I know the, the strong foundation within me. I get to access. I have access to that every single moment of every day.
0: Just listen to that. Larisse could have, I'm, I'm talking to Mike now. I mean, Larisse could have been a victim her whole life, yeah. and rightfully so. I mean, you yeah, had it kind of tough, yeah. but you chose chose mm-hmm. to take a different path, and I, I'm really, I really
1: admire the path that you've taken.
2: Thank you. One Thank one, you a, so
1: one of the quotes that I like to is live each day with purpose. Yeah. If you wake up one morning with no purpose, it's just a wasted day. Yeah. Yeah. Larice, I really do want to thank you for coming in today. You've been terrific. You really thank have.
2: Thank you. Thank you both. We thank you we so could much have stayed here late. for hours Aww. and talked to you. Larice,
1: you are a beautiful woman. You're a strong woman. I've known Kevin for years. I was actually at your wedding.
2: Yes. Years yes, ago. Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Is that at the Bethwood?
2: Yes. See it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Sometimes the memory still works. Cognitive decline is definitely <laughs> happening with age. You no, know, I just it, it is great seeing you. You have a great story. Thank and when I heard of Kevin's passing, I broke down and cried. When I listened to your first podcast, I had tears coming out of my eyes. Yeah. I don't know how you stay so, so strong. I mean, that that's incredible. Thank you. Thank that's you. a testament to who you are and how strong you are.
2: Thank you, Mike. I really, really appreciate that. I really do. And I know that Kevin's cheering for me every day. I, I carry him in my heart always. And I know that he's still right here with me and with the boys rooting us on every step of the way. I believe
0: that. Well, once again, I want to thank you for coming in. Yeah. But I do want to take a look at all the stuff that we learned today. First things first, it's not Lou Gehrig's disease. It's ALS. It's Karli Ustremski <laughs> Carly-
1: Carly- disease. Stremsky disease.
0: <laughs> you got to have gratitude in the face of adversity. I think Maurice exhibits this very, very well. Go to the consolation game. That is one of the greatest stories I ever heard. A whole book could be written around that. <laughs> there's a question you have to ask yourself are you searching for answers or are you running for the truth i love that and of course most importantly you gotta feel it to heal <laughs> yes. thank you all for joining us on this episode of the suffering podcast the suffering of losing a partner with larise duffy check us out on instagram facebook twitter and we're going to see you on the next episode of the suffering podcast thank you all for listening